Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. I want to start with a question that you might have that we haven't addressed any other place in the series, and that is the phrase, fear of the Lord. Now that phrase is all over the Bible, uh, the fear of the Lord. Uh, so what does that mean? You know, some of you may have grown up in churches uh, that were fire and brimstone types. Uh, and if you did, you know exactly what I mean. Lots of talk of hell. You know, there's a famous sermon written by Jonathan Edwards uh, on the American frontier in those days called uh, Sinners in the Hand of Hands of an Angry God. Uh, and it is, it, is, it is so, so far down that road that I almost want to smile if I didn't know there was so much harm that had come from it. In that sermon, he talks about how each of us are being dangled over, over the fires of hell by our toes. I think it's even by a string tied to our toes. And the only thing keeping us from falling into the fires of eternal damnation is the hand of God. Now, no. <laughs> you know, I've studied scripture, I've studied theology, and there is so much that's wrong with that. Uh, now, somebody who grew up with that might think that that's what fear of the Lord means, right? But we know that God is a God of love, first and foremost, and that God would not do that. Uh, someone who is all love could not possibly do that to someone. So what does it mean to have fear of the Lord if not that? Well, I think it means something more like awe-inspiring or a holy respect or reverence. You know, I think of when Abraham fell to his knees or when Moses asked to see God and God says, your body couldn't handle seeing me. If you saw my face, it would kill you. Uh, and so God reluctantly almost says, okay, Moses, you hide in this cleft in the rock, uh, and as I pass by, you will see my back. And even that was almost more than Moses could handle. That's fear of the Lord. You know, we have a new puppy in our house, and I'm sorry I keep bringing Lily into the sermon, but you know, when you have a puppy, it, it kind of is your life for a little while. <laughs> there was a moment about a week ago with Lily, who is still just a puppy and a Havanese, so not a big dog to begin with. So she's probably about this big right now. Uh, and uh, if you've only joined us online, I know there's uh, those who've uh, ne never uh, come in person who found our church online. Um, I'm six foot five. I'm pretty tall and I'm, I'm a big guy and that's a little dog. There was a time where I wasn't saying anything, you know, so she wasn't in trouble or anything, but I kind of snuck up behind her and she was trying to get into the house. So she was against the patio door and didn't realize I was coming up. And when she senses I'm there, she looks up and, and I'm, and I'm talking looking straight up all six foot five inches minus about maybe eight or ten inches of her and she's looking straight up at me and she shakes <laughs> she shakes she trembles uh, at seeing me towering over her like that now I wasn't trying to scare she wasn't in trouble but that is something what fear of the Lord is like I think when we encounter something that is so much bigger than us that all we can do is tremble but scripture reminds us that God isn't only all-powerful, but that God is love. Not God is loving, God is love. And so when you bring the, the two together, that even if God's might makes our knees shake, that we stand in the presence of perfect love, well, if the most terrifying thing in the universe is love, perfect love, then what other fears could stand? 
You know, that's what fear of God is. It's the, it's the love that drives out all other fear. Okay, I kind of got carried away there. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, the, our three for today, getting sick, growing old, and dying. And I want to start with an old, old story. This is a 2,500-year-old story, back before even the time of Jesus, though from a very different region, about a prince named Siddhartha. Now, maybe you've heard this story before. If so, uh, no spoilers, please. <laughs> Siddhartha was a prince whose father was a great king, and he grew up sheltered in the palace his whole life, very Shelter. He had everything he wanted, he had no burdens, and his life was very easy. But one day, he wanted to see what life was like for the people that he would one day rule, and so he snuck out of the palace. And one of the first people he came into contact with was someone who was very sick. Now, Siddhartha had never seen someone who was that sick before, who was diseased. You know, maybe he'd seen colds or the flu or something like that, but he had never seen someone who was that sick, and he wondered is this the fate of us all? Can we all get sick like this? And it made him very anxious. It made him very fearful. Now, not long after that, he saw someone who was very old. Their skin was, of course, very wrinkled. Their hair and their beard was gray. They were hunched over and they were frail and could barely walk. Now, Siddhartha had never seen someone this old and frail before. Everyone who worked in the palace was young and beautiful. And he wondered, will we all grow old like this man? It scared him. And then he saw a funeral procession go by. And he never really had thought about death before. I mean, he was passingly aware of it, but he'd never really encountered or had death near him before in his young life. And suddenly he was terrified, realizing that this wasn't a question. Will we all get sick? This one was a certainty. We will all one day die. And again, he was filled with fear. And so Siddhartha went on a quest, a search for how to deal with his fears. And what he ended up with was a philosophy of life that helped him to live without fear. And that philosophy is what we now know as Buddhism. This is the origin story of Buddhism, uh, what you just heard. Now, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to see that Jesus offers a uh, somewhat different path, especially when it comes to death. But there's so much we can learn from the other religions of the world, so much that God has revealed in them. Uh, and I, I think this is one of those cases. You know, the reason it's called Buddhism is because Buddha means enlightened one. And when Siddhartha finally got to the point where he wasn't afraid, when he was able to let go and be okay with death, that's when he became Buddha. Buddhism shows us that this is a deeply human thing, that it's not just us. It's every person who has ever lived that has been afraid of sickness, of, old, of growing old, and death. So let's start with sickness. At the beginning of the series, uh, I talked uh, quite a bit about the amygdala, part of our brain, I believe it's about the size of a walnut, that's kind of like a smoke detector. It's an early warning system. And if we, are, we come up against something that we should be afraid of, it, puts, it gets our body ready to do whatever needs to be done. So if you came face to face with a lion, before your conscious mind could even think about it, your amygdala would have your adrenaline pumping, would have your muscles tense, your pupils dilated, your heart racing, so you could either fight or run run, fight or flight, right? And you would be ready. That's, that's when it's working like it's supposed to. Uh, what, the way it's supposed to work is that your imagination and your reason then take over to determine that if this isn't a lion in front of you, then is the warning going off for the wrong reason? You know, is this something I really need to be afraid of and is that really the right thing to do? 
You know, fear is kind of like a warning light in an airplane. Now, I'm not a pilot myself, but I have a friend who is, uh, and I've uh, heard of other pilots that talk about all the warning lights that are in an airplane, and they're called warning lights, and they give you important information, but here's the thing. Most of those warning lights don't mean the plane is going down. Most of those warning lights are just a piece of information, uh, and the wise pilot knows the difference. The problem today with our health, with, with the fear of sickness, is that we have too many warning lights that, to make sense of. We're overloaded. You know, how many of you, now I can't see online, but how many of you have a device that counts your steps? See, that's a pretty good number of hands. Uh, uh, I don't look at it anymore. I used to have one I used itself. I know my phone does it, but I, I, I never look for whatever that's worth. Uh, but it's good to think about being healthier, right? And 10,000 steps, which is what they always say is a good goal. How many of you get 10,000 steps every day? Oh my goodness, that's way more than I thought we're gonna raise their hands. Now I feel bad. <laughs> I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've actually gotten to 10,000 steps. You all are awesome. Here's the thing. Does getting 5,000 steps mean you're dying? No. But is it a source of worry when I check it for me? Yeah, it is. Or how about pharmaceutical ads? Pharmaceutical ads tell you about a sickness you've never heard of and, of course, a medicine to fix it. Now, if you pay attention to your mind, I will guarantee you that every time you see one of those ads, there is a piece of your brain, no matter how small, that goes, huh, maybe I have that. Am I wrong? No, of course not. And then what happens? Then the ad tells you all the things that could go wrong when you take the medicine <laughs> in the fastest voice possible. Uh, and your fear increases. It's a warning light that may give you a little piece of information, but doesn't mean you're dying, does it? And then, of course, there's the Internet. One more, everybody. How many of you have ever Googled a symptom or a condition? How many of you have ever end up worried, or ended up worried about the wrong thing? We all have. You know, these are, fear is supposed to be like a warning light, a piece of information. And maybe knowing that something could happen might change the way we live a little bit. But when we let it escalate to the point of worry, when we let that information light become a source of true warning, well, it doesn't help, does it? It takes a concern for the future that doesn't even exist yet and may never and brings it into the present. You know, one line that I really liked from Adam Hamilton's version of this sermon that I had to steal is this. When we worry, we're not only going to have a rotten day in the future, we're going to have a rotten day today too. I'm going to say it again. When we worry, we're not only going to have a rotten day in the future, but we're going to have a rotten day today too. Uh, or to put it in Jesus' words, for who by worrying can add an hour to their life. But how do you actually do it? You know, psychologists, uh, many of them, teach mindfulness. They teach mindfulness, which of course comes out of Buddhism. It's part of Siddhartha, the Buddha's uh, philosophy that he developed. Uh, and being, uh, being present in the present moment and being aware of what's going around you, uh, uh, going on around you. And many therapists teach uh, paying attention to your breath, which comes out of that too. This is very much present in Christianity, by the way. The Buddhists are just better at teaching it than we are. Uh, and one technique is called the four-sided breath. It's really easy and I wanna teach it to you today. It can help with any kind of anxiety about sickness or any other. What you do is it's all about the number four. You breathe in for a count of four 
you hold it for a count of four, you breathe out for a count of four, and then you hold that for a count of four. So I learned first service that I can't count and breathe myself at the same time. So I'm gonna count and you all breathe and let's try it, okay? So breathe in, one, two, three, four. Hold it, one, two, three, four. Breathe out, one, two, three, four. And hold it, one, two, three, four. Now, do that several times, four if you want, and I'll guarantee you your anxiety will be less. You know, another way that uh, is more present in Christianity is to do a breath prayer, a prayer that takes only one breath that you say repeatedly, like breathe in slowly, Lord, you are my shepherd. <gasps> Lord, you are my shepherd or help me not be afraid, or Lord Jesus, give me peace. That's my usual one. Or just take a moment to pay attention to the world around you, the temperature, the air, the colors that you see. You know, when you do that, you'll find God, I promise you. All right, so let's talk about old age. I heard a story a while back of somebody who was uh, shopping for clothes, and there were some uh, teenagers shopping, and, uh, uh, and they, could, they couldn't help but overhear when they said, I don't want to look like a 30-year-old mother. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the midlife crisis, right? I stand here at 43. It usually happens about 40 or 50, so I figure I'm probably due, you know? It's when you start thinking that there are fewer years ahead of you than before, and I'd better get what I can before it goes all downhill. Now, if you're not too messed up, you get a convertible or something like that. If it's worse, though, some even wreck their marriage. How many of you have ever lost your keys and thought, I wonder if I have early Alzheimer's? Yeah, now I'm, uh, our, our, our live stream audience is a little bit younger than our in-person audience today. Sorry, guys. I have a hunch, though, that, that if I could see the hands online right now, it would be most of you. Can I tell you that early onset Alzheimer's is less than 0.5% of people? You don't have Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's that fear of growing old. And, you know, sometimes we're afraid that the latter years of life are going to be sad or unhealthy. You know, there was a poll that was done. Now, this is a big poll that was done, uh, I think it was like 10 or 15 years ago, uh, of 350,000 people. So a very representative poll. People all the way from age 18 to 83 and were asked on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? Now, I already know there's one person here who disagrees with it. But, you know, this is the average of everyone. Now, uh, I'm going to try a little bit of new technology here to see if I can make this work. But take a look at this poll. Oh, no, that's what I wrote on there last time. Oh, shoot, I don't know how to clear my marks. Well, you can see, I'm gonna draw on it again, okay? <laughs> so look, it starts with happiness about, uh, at age 18 that comes, uh, the average of what people said was about 6.7. And then as they begin to learn how to adult, how to, be, uh, how to be grown up and face the pressures of life, it starts to go down. Now, I think it's a, probably about the time people get married and have kids where that bottoms out there. <laughs> you know, there's all these new stresses and pressures in life. And, and then as you get to uh, learn the love of parenthood, not everybody is uh, the path of parenting, but on average, that's my guess of what's going on here, it goes up a little bit. Now, this is about where the teenage years hit, so no, no judgment. Maybe that's not the reason, I'm just saying. And then it bottoms out around age 50. 
Now, I don't want to assume too much, but I know for many people that's when the empty nest stage hits, when you've put so much of yourself into being a parent and given so much that once your kids go off to blessedly live their own life, you, well, bottom out because you wonder what's left and you have to redefine who you are. But what happens to the graph after that? It goes up, right? It goes up from there on out. And in fact, it keeps going up and never stops. And by the time uh, people hit uh, right around 70 years old, all of a sudden they report a higher level of happiness even than they did when they were 18. And in fact, that happiness only keeps going up from there. Now, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? You know, and maybe it's something about when you don't have to work anymore, you're free to be 100% who God made you to be. You're free to enjoy, to explore, to mentor, and to care. And you know what? That plays out in the Bible, too. You know, many of the greatest heroes of the faith that we read about uh, began their work, their life's journey in their old age, what we would call retirement age now. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Elijah, they were all quite old when it began for them, when God called them. So the question I want to ask you is, are you open to it? Are you allowing God to use you if you are in those older years? If you're one of the younger ones, I would say this. Are you preparing yourself for the fact that the best may be still to come? You know, surely there are some who do get sick as they get old. But when you average it out, it's still happier. You know, it says it in the Bible twice. It's in, from the prophet Joel, and then it's quoted later on in Acts, where it says, your young men will see visions, and women too, and your old men and women will dream dreams. You know, we need the older among us dreaming the dreams because they may know the most about happiness. Old age isn't something to be afraid of. But that brings us to the real issue that all of this is about, and that is death. What happens in that moment when we cease to breathe. We don't know, of course. Our amygdala is telling us to stay away from that moment and for obvious reason, you know, that warning system in our brain. But just like our reason is supposed to moderate our amygdala and our imagination when they're overactive and help us make sense of the fears that are over overdone, well, so our heart and our soul are meant to lead us to a better view of death. You know, other religions uh, teach us much, but this is where they begin to differ more. You know, for all Buddhism teaches us, in the end, it's about being okay with death and about okay with ending. You know, the Buddha had one approach, saying that the reason we fear is that we're too attached to life, that we cling to it. And that's a good and a biblical, a Christian biblical idea too. But in Buddhism, if you miss that lesson, you're reincarnated and you try again until you learn it, and most don't. <laughs> the Bible, though, offers a much different approach. It says, that, it says that God's answer is that this life is just the beginning. It's like kindergarten. You know, in this life, you learn everything you can and you seek to know God and surrender to God. And just like in actual kindergarten, all the most important lessons of life are learned here. How to share, for example, why we shouldn't fight one another. But when this life is over, we go on to something that's described as glorious. 
Poetry can't even describe it. In, in the Bible, and especially the book of Revelation, it's described as a wedding banquet with fine wines, with great dancing and things to eat. It's described as streets of jewels and precious metals. All of these are just a poet's metaphor uh, for things that we can't even comprehend. And when Jesus speaks and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid, right? In my Father's house, there are many rooms. There is room to spare, and I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, don't you think I'm going to come back and take you there? You know, doubt is a normal part of faith. But this is one area where I used to doubt a lot more than I do now. And maybe it's because I've preached dozens, dozens and scores of funerals at this point. But I really think it's because of reading the stories of when Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection that's convinced me. You know, there are some parts of the Bible that are myth, that are not supposed to be taken literally, like the creation story, for instance. It's not a science lesson of how God created the world. It's a lesson about why and about God's presence in it. But those accounts of the risen Jesus, they so clearly have the ring of dumbfounded disciples just trying to understand what God was doing and writing so honestly. And when you truly internalize that, you realize that Easter is God's way of saying, I don't want you to be afraid. You know, Jesus' words take on new meaning in my Father's house or many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going, don't you think I'll come back and bring you there too? You know, C.S. Lewis said that what you believe about death changes everything about how you live this life. Because if you actually trust this, you don't have to be afraid. And when you say goodbye to those that you love, of course you grieve. How could you not grieve? But you grieve as people who hope. You grieve as people who know that there is more and that it continues beyond what we can see. And that though there is a loss in this world, the loss is never as whole as we fear. You know, our puppy Lily, I mentioned the story about her looking up uh, and being terrified, terrified in just a, an awe sort of way at how big I was looking down at her. You know, that dog has no fear. <laughs> that dog trusts me to no end. If she's sitting in my lap, she will take a flying leap off my lap, even though it hurts her when she hits the ground, if she manages to get past my grasp. You know, I still call her the one-handed dog. This won't last much longer, but I can still hold her with one hand. And she will kick off of my gut just as hard as she can to get down to the ground. Kind of that, ugh, and I pull her forward. <laughs> And maybe the best example is that once I did something that my old dog used to hate. You know, I'll hold her like this with facing me, and I'll try to set her down like this on her back. My old dog used to hate that. <laughs> but Lily just looks at me, because even though it's a trust fall, she knows I won't let her be hurt. Now, I don't think you should do something foolish like Lily, foolishly trusting that I'm going to catch her. Because you know, God says, don't put God to the test. Jesus says that. But isn't there something inspiring about Lily's trust in that which she fears in a good way? That's what the fear of the Lord is about. That God's greatness makes us tremble. 
But when we know that God's greatness is love, then it puts sickness, old age, and death in its place. We know that we don't need to fear anything because God is love. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for the warning lights that you give us to help guide us and live our life well. May we embrace them, but may we embrace them only for what they are. And may we remember that you are the real pilot, that you are the one really guiding us. May we know that you hold us firmly no matter what happens, no matter what turns our life takes. And may we trust you and follow you and live our life in such a way. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.